welcome to the FE Research Podcast, a podcast that aims to showcase the practitioner inquiry, scholarship and research being carried out within further education. It's certainly something I've noted in the NHS is that, is that there is this kind of, there is this, this sort of uh, archaic attitude among, among some people, you know, this kind of ingrained attitude that, well, anybody can deliver training. And actually, we need to get away from that. We need to we need to position ourselves, particularly in workforce development teams, we need to position ourselves as the where the experts in education. You know, that's what we've trained for. Hello and welcome to the FE Research Podcast. My name is Joe Fletcher Saxon and my partner in crime is it's Alistair Smith. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm all right. Thank you. So this actually now is our second um, podcast of 2021 in terms of release, ones that we'll release. Yes. <laughs> Does that make yeah. sense? Yes. So we said Happy New Year with the last one, although it was ages ago. Okay. So um, today with us on the podcast, we have somebody who, although she works in post-16 uh, um, training and education. She doesn't actually work in a further education college, so it's really exciting. It's Carrie Ann Walton. She is a learning technologist for the NHS. Uh, she is a member of the Society of Education and Training, so that's where she spotted the opportunity to study for an MPhil, which is, um, I think, sponsored by the Education and Training Foundation. She's in year two of that programme now, and uh, she's here to talk to us today all about her role and um, her research I think so I'm going to I'm going to hand over to you Alistair to lead us through the first part of this. Thank you very much Joe. well yeah I think Joe just started off there Carrie by saying um, that uh, of course you've got uh, a slightly different route into this than, than what we call traditional so first of all hello and hello. can you tell us a little bit about um, how your role kind of links in with your um, educational research and your MPhil that you're studying at the moment? Yeah, so, the, well, the role that I'm in now, actually, as a learning technologist, um, I've only been in a couple of years. So me, the, the research and the, the basis for my research actually stems back to my kind of first days as, as a trainer, as an educator. Um, so I was working in a private, in a private company, um, and it was at that point that uh, I did a sort of um, like a train-the-trainer thing, you know, sort of how to, how to become a, a, a trainer. And wanted to take it a bit further, so I ended up enrolling on a PGCE, um, uh, specialising in young people and adults education. And at that at that point, that's when I kind of realised that all of a sudden I wasn't I wasn't just a, um, a sort of subject matter expert. I was also an educator, and I had kind of two different lots of CPD to to kind of maintain. Um, and really, my kind of passion and semi-obsession with with CPD kind of spurred from there. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge advocate of lifelong learning anyway, but but really want to make sure that I sort of maintain currency with this, um, with this new qualification that I had with this new role as an educator. So fast forward a couple of years, you know, I'm qualified as a PGCE uh, uh, teacher. And when I spotted the, the, the opportunity come up, uh, via the Society for Education and Training. So Joe's absolutely right. It's 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 a funded MPhil, a funded Masters of Philosophy. Um, when I saw the opportunity come up, I just thought that's a great that's a great chance to to do some research in this, to to research that thing that I'm 
that 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 sparked my curiosity sort of two you know three four years ago brilliant so that leads us nicely on to what is this topic what what is it about your research that that sparked your interest and and kind of uh, got you wanting to pursue the m phil then so like i said I've, I've, I've been a lifelong learner oh god forever oddly enough though i dropped out of high school so I, I dropped out of high school never got me a levels um, and when i was about 22 years old decided that I, I wanted to get that degree after all so um ended up doing it via the open university it took me nine years to get that to get that qualification um, i was super proud on graduation day it was amazing um, but it just it got me thinking you know you, you put so much time and effort into, into getting that qualification you know I mean I, I put put you know a good a, a solid two years and a lot of hard work part-time as well you know I've, I've always worked full-time through my education but a lot of blood sweat and tears into getting that qualification and it would be really easy to just let it slip you know to to just not do any more anymore um you know not to not to, to not maintain currency with it to just be trained as an educator and that's it you know well, hey i'm a teacher brilliant never have to do anything more on it um and i ju- i just kind of wondered as i went into as i went in towards the nhs i just kind of wondered is that is there other people like me are there are there other educators who are who are thinking of themselves wow i really need to maintain currency with this or is there actually a big group of educators, people who are, you know, for example, trained nurses or doctors or, um, you know, people who are trained in information governance or, you know, any kind of subject, um, but who are also trained educators? Is there a big group of them who who are actually thinking, right, I need to maintain currency with this or a big group of them who are going, right, that's that's it. I'm, I'm a teacher. Done. You know, and it's, it's this kind of aspect this idea of of dual professionalism like you know uh, you've got this you've got these two different hats that you wear is there such a thing as dual professionalism i mean i'm getting way into it now but um you know is there such a thing as dual professionalism or is it just professional identity um, i've forgotten what question you asked me alistair I, I, I do tend to go off on tangents when i when i get talking about research no no it's okay it's just <laughs> what really it's about what you know what is the, the focus of your mphil um in that in the instant instance yeah, so so the the working title of it for now, and I, I guess anybody who's carried out any research knows that it's it's a working title pretty much until the day before submission. Um, the working title for it uh, is currently, but you're a teacher too, uh, an exploration of engagement with CPD of the dual professional. I had to really think about that there, um, but it's this kind of but you're a teacher too aspect that I really want to that I really want to look at. You know this um, this this notion that 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 people are qualified educators but the field of education changes really quickly i mean you know i don't i don't need to spell it out any clearer this last year has taught us that education has to be it's a dynamic changing environment constantly i mean you know for i work in the nhs but we deliver a lot of a lot of training to you know fifteen thousand staff and within this last year everything has changed every single aspect of our training delivery has changed now if if you're a qualified educator and you're not maintaining currency with that with that field if you're not constantly doing cpd or you know kind of keeping up to date with um with new technologies or new methods then that's it's just going to hit you all the harder when um you know when the likes of covid hits and all face-to-face training are all kind of teaching you know schools are closed and you know colleges are shut down and things um you know it's going to hit you all the harder so i'm just really interested in the degree to which people actually 
keep up to date as teachers like if they're if they're sort of dual qualified you know i'm just fascinated by that yeah uh, that's really quite a, a hot topic as well i suppose but mm. what do you want to to get from the research what what do you hope to kind of um aim to achieve from it <clears throat> that's a great question i don't know uh, is the is the is the the god's honest answer I'm not sure what I want to achieve from it. I, I think I've got it in my head that that there's that there's more people don't maintain currency with the CPD than do maintain currency. But I mean that's that's speculation on my part. So and and I'm going into it from a kind of qualitative perspective. So I don't really you know I, I'm not going in with any kind of preformed like hypotheses or anything. So I'm just going in to explore engagement and attitudes towards CPD. And if that shows if that shows that my you know my kind of preformed notions are wrong then fine you know I'll, I'll i'll take i'll take that data and we'll we'll use it in the appropriate in the appropriate way but i don't i don't really have any i don't really have any kind of expectations of what the data will show i'll be chuffed if i if i get through it in one piece actually <laughs> you just the the motivation is, yeah the motivation is you just want to know you you, you want to, to dig in there that, yeah. that's the motivator really um so okay, you started to mention the data there, but how are you going to be uh, carrying that out? How are you? Well, I, I probably sh- I, really I should be I should have been collecting data by now, but with working in the NHS and uh, and you know the dreaded C word, the COVID word, um, within I guess when when COVID started to hit its peak, um, all research, all non-COVID research within the NHS was kind of like, or should I say the uh, approval of non-COVID related research was kind of paused. So <laughs> me, me application uh, via, via the NHS kind of uh, authorization system has been kind of waiting in limbo for the last few months. So I should have been collecting data by now, but, um, but it's, only, it's only just been kind of, um, like the pause has only just been taken off. So <sighs> fingers crossed, I'll, I'll, I'll get to start doing some data collection. I've, I've been sort of collecting like unofficially and kind of anecdotally, but um, just that's just really a kind of unofficial pilot, if you like, um, just to inform what kind of things I should be asking in the in the proper focus groups. Uh, so, so that's it. So, so really, through uh, the, the aim is to go through focus groups and kind of get a few um, heads together to give you some um, in, input that way, is it? Yeah, uh, I'm either going to do I'm either going to do focus groups or individual interviews. It um, it it depends on. Um, it depends on how much time I'm going to have in the in the long run and what kind of what kind of sample size I want. Because I've got it in my head that I want about I want to interview about twenty people. Well, transcribing twenty individual interviews might I might not end up having enough time for that. Like literally by you know because of this delay, I might not have the time for it. Um, so I think I might do I might do mixed focus groups. Mixed as in I'll get a bunch of different um, like different types of educator from across the trust because we've got. You know, I think this is this is one this is one thing that I'm I'm actually really kind of proud to be doing some some educational research in the NHS because it's um, I'm I'm told that I'm the first NHS educator that the program that the Sunset programs ever had, um, and I think there's a there's I imagine there's a lot of people don't realise how many educators there actually are within the NHS. So we've got you know we've got clinical educators who are qualified nurses who who are also PGCE qualified teachers. We've got teaching fellows, so qualified doctors who are teaching. Um, there's a bunch of subject matter experts. We've got, there's about 50 people in the workforce development team, many of whom are 
PDC or DETL's qualified educators. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very underrepresented uh, population of educators. Um, so, I, so I want to, I want to try and do the, I want to try and mix up the focus groups and have a, a, you know, have a mix of different, you know, educators from different backgrounds so that they can talk about, um, about their, their own experiences without being too influenced by the peers, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And and that leads on because obviously you said that COVID has impacted massively with you you being part of the NHS um, over the the last year. Um, but under the kind of normal circumstances, how well supported are you with, with doing this research through through your kind of trust in the NHS? Uh, I mean, I'm I'm very well. I'm very well supported in this in the when. Um, so as I was as I was finishing off me, so I've got a master's in educational research, which um, which finished um, about three days before me and Phil started actually. Um, and when that was coming to a finish, and I and I asked my managers about about applying for this um, for this MPhil because obviously the, the trust needs to support me with the time and um, and and um, and being able to carry out the research and what have you. They were super, super supportive because because research like this isn't isn't done very often in the NHS. So I think the the sort is as a really good opportunity to kind of raise the profile of educators in 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 the NHS. Um, uh, so I'm I'm very very well supported by the trust. I mean I have to say that it's it's on the one hand they're kind of like yeah 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 go and do it but on the other hand they're kind of like so what are you doing again <laughs> yeah. you know, we're really happy for you to do it and we'll be really chuffed to see the results we don't we don't fully understand what it is you're doing yet but we're behind you brilliant <laughs> i think sometimes all you really need is to have that that support in whatever guys even if it's not quite fully um, yeah. understood on every layer yeah definitely, definitely. Yeah, and, and of course, I'm, I'm. I think I'm generally seen as the as the the sort of education nerd in the trust. So you know, there's always like it doesn't matter how many how many qualifications are. are, are oh, hang on, no, I'm not going to say that because that makes me sound big headed. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how how close I am to finishing a qualification. I'm always looking to do the next one. Like I'm always thinking, right, what can I do next, or like what what extra course can I do, or what bit of learning can I do. So I, I think I think everybody. Everybody else in the in the department sees um, sees this 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 nerd tattoo that I seem to have in invisible ink on my forehead. Uh, <laughs> I don't yeah. think it doesn't sound like it's invisible ink. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds like <laughs> it's quite, to me. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds like it's it's clearly known by them. But um, I think ultimately, like the, the research has a purpose um, for you because yeah. it 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 fills a need, doesn't it? And and they well, can see that and support it. So that's good. Yeah, well, one of the one of the programs that we do actually within the trust. Um, so we we do we run. It's the equivalent of what used to be petals. So you know the the um, the award in education and training. So we we do that in house. We're a we're a city and guilds accredited. Um, you know, we're a sort of provider. So we do that in house for um, for all sorts of like subject matter experts across the trust who deliver as any part of the role. So we do that, and I'm on the I'm on the faculty for that. Um, and one of the things that we talked about actually was putting together uh, sort of as a result of me, as a result of my um, my research, one of the things we're talking about is putting together a program of CPD um, opportunities for, for people within the trust, because there's plenty of CPD out there for educators, but actually the NHS is a really specific setting. Um, you know, so clinical educators, for example, um, 
yes, they deliver training, but it's it's not the same as in a school or a college. You know, they're delivering mostly one-on-one training and they're delivering training on very specific kind of clinical procedures. So they need a different type of, um, they need a, a slightly different approach to their training and their CPD. And they need, we, we maybe need to sort of cherry pick some of the, some of the opportunities that are out there to make them more relevant for, you know, for those groups of staff. So, um, so one of the things we're looking at over this coming year is putting together this kind of CPD program or putting together, um, I forget what it was, the, um, uh, one of the managers had, had called it, but it was like a, like a sort of CPD network, um, you know, for, uh, for kind of, for the award and education alum to, 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 to keep engaged and, and keep involved with a CPD. And that's music to my ears. So I'm like, yes, brilliant. I'll write it. I design Leland for a living now. It's excellent. I'll take on that. Um, okay. Realistically, I haven't got time, but. And what, what <laughs> a great nice idea. Link. Yeah, what a great link to your work as well. Well, I'm going yeah. to pass over to Joe now for some more questions for you, Carrie, but thanks for those answers. That's uh, a great no insight. Okay, over to you, Joe. Okay, I'll, I'll ask what you've left me. Which, <laughs> which is a, Oh dear, he always does this to me. Right, okay. Um, Actually, just a few comments. So it's really fascinating to hear you talk, actually, because I've got a couple of um, NHS staff on the PGCE, well, CERTED with me. Yeah. And some of the things that they talk about um, suggests that the management hierarchy above them um, would see themselves more in passing on the clinical information and not necessarily position themselves as educators and teachers which is really fascinating because they're learning new stuff with us and then taking it back and it's it's challenging the way things are done back in the yeah yeah so one of the one of the things that I've noted and and I'm aware before I say it that this will probably come across sounding like I'm picking but I'm not really one of the things that I'm really aware of is that is that there's a lot of there's a lot of people within it's not just the NHS it's all over there's a lot of people who think that they're going whack together a PowerPoint presentation, stand up in front of a group and deliver, and that, that's educating. And I, 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 you know, everybody everybody listening to this is probably nodding along frantically yeah. going, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And, but it's, but it's, it's the truth. You know, yeah, yeah, anybody can put together a, a PowerPoint presentation and deliver it, but that's not educating. That's not mm. educating people. It's not thinking about the pedagogy behind it. It's not thinking about what kind of, um, you know, it's not thinking about, oh, I mean, God, how many, you know, the old like death by PowerPoint thing, you know, nobody's considering cognitive load. You know, nobody's thinking about, about how to make a really valuable education experience. You know, they the put some animations on the PowerPoint and think that it looks whizzy. Well, yeah, it looks whizzy, but actually, you know, like t- check, that, check that person's knowledge in another three weeks time. And all they'll have remembered was that the PowerPoint was whizzy. They'll not have remembered the, the, the actual necessary information. So, um, and I think it's it, it's certainly it's certainly something I've noted in the NHS is that is that there is this kind of there is this this sort of uh, archaic attitude among among some people you know this kind of ingrained attitude that well anybody can deliver training and actually we need to get away from that we need to we need to position ourselves particularly in workforce development teams we need to position ourselves as the where the experts in education. You know that's what we've trained for. You know, I've like I've got I've got uh, you know a few qualifications in this. I know what I'm talking about. So come to me to for you know for me to to give you pointers on how to on how to structure your session properly. On how to you know it's not just about 
you know, teach, 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 and then do a multiple choice questionnaire at the end, because that's not, that's not always the most valuable, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I could say this till I was blue in the face, yeah. and I probably have said it till I'm blue in the face. I, it's, it's, but, it's, you know, it's we're really experts good. in what we do. It's good to hear you say it, because <clears throat> I've been detecting some of this stuff um, mm. just by, you know, vicariously, would that be the right word, just for, through yeah. working with um, colleagues who work at the NHS. So it, uh, maybe my judgment was, you know, there's some truth to it. Um, you, and also you talked about an underrepresented bunch of educators. Yeah. But I'm thinking from what you're saying then is culturally that is that thing of they see themselves clinical first, educators second, and therefore there's no, there would be no push to be represented as educators, I'm guessing. Yeah, and it's not just within the NHS. I mean, I find this, you know, so when I applied for the um, when I applied for the Sunset Programme, I had to email them beforehand and say, look, um, I, I am I am a qualified educator and we, you know, we're an employer provider delivering apprenticeship programmes, so we do qualify. Can I just check that that you're yeah. okay with that? You know, that, that can I just check that I meet the requirements of the programme? Because it because it just mentions HA and FE. Um so I had to double check with them. And actually, um, even, even the likes of the Society for Education and Training, you know, like the, the clues in the title there, Society for Education and Training, but it's always aimed at either private companies or like, or sort of compulsory and post-compulsory uh, levels of education. Nobody ever really actually thinks about the NHS. And I mean, when you think the, the NHS is one of the biggest employers in the country. Yeah. So, mm. you know, I mean, we at a rough estimate, I think we've probably got somewhere between two and 300 educators working within our trust alone. Wow. So like, okay. extra, you know, like <laughs> take that out of the whole country. That's a lot of educators that, that, that people don't really think about. You know, and I'm, but, I'm here to, I'm here to talk you Yeah, <laughs> but your research might reveal that might be because the system doesn't see them in that way either. They don't see yeah. them. As it. I wonder. It'll be fascinating yeah. to find out. My sister actually is um, a cardiac physiologist in the NHS. And we, we call her the three degrees because she's got three degrees, <laughs> two, of, two of which she did funded through the NHS with the when, oh. you know, in, in her role. Yeah. Yeah. So she's massively, you know, uh, very uh, developed in terms of well the well the NHS is good for that and I mean a lot of the a lot of the, the clinical educators that I'm talking about who are PGC qualified a lot of that was funded through the NHS you know and and I just that, that was one of the that's one of the kind of um one of the research questions that I want that I'm that I'm trying to that I'm trying to ask actually is like is that a sound investment from the NHS you know how, are they mm. getting are they getting I hate to use the term but are they getting you? return on investment yeah. You know, for for training these people as educators, you know, like high level, ed, you know, level seven educators, are they actually getting that back in in the quality of education, or did that person do it like 10, 12 years ago and has never kept up to date with it? So actually, like they still they still think chalk and talk methods are are, are really appropriate. You know, yeah. so yeah. it's one of my research questions. Um, and I love your title, but you're a teacher too, and yeah. I'm just thinking. I could I could I could almost use the opposite of that for my research because we're, <laughs> we're we're on sunset where are you behind you Carrie mm -hmm. I could we could I could say but you're a researcher too because in yeah. a way I'm in the opposite whereas I've got you know um, teachers and I'm trying to encourage them to to see themselves as partly researchers as well so yeah sort of like yeah. Parrot, hey I'll uh, I'll 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 let you use it for a small fee, you know. I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you. I'll let you use the title. Do you a good deal. <laughs> just, just credit, just credit me at the at the end of your research. <laughs> so, 
um, obviously you've mentioned we've mentioned Sunset in the podcast a number of times now, and we should just say, just in case somebody just listens to this one, um, it is the Sunderland Centre for Education and Teacher Training. Excellent, I think. excellent in education. Yeah, yeah something. Yeah. Uh, so it's basically Sunderland University. So um, you know, just in case people have not heard of that, and you can find out about the programs that they offer on the. Uh, Education and Training Foundation's website. It's so many acronyms. Oh, <laughs> in January. Um, so we've started out now, Alistair and I, on the M Phil. Mm-hmm. What in your year ahead? So, what would you say then? What would be your kind of top tips to people starting out um, in the world of research? People, whatever kind of education role they might happen to be in, with this in a college or like yourself in the NHS or in even private training. What would be your top tips to them? Blooming heck. Whoa. Um, top tips. Uh, never underestimate uh, never underestimate how how much reading you can do. Um, there's I mean I've 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 done most of my literature my literature review, but then I keep thinking of I keep finding something else I could read about, you know. So I, I, just when I think I've exhausted all possible keyword searches, I think of something else and find a load more. So never underestimate how much reading you can do and never stop reading. So don't think that just because you've just because you've read around a topic that that's it. There's always more reading you can do. Um, uh, and one thing for me, I mean, I've been a I've been a distance learner for well, I'm like 40 now and I started when I was 22. So like 18 years I've been a distance learner um, and you'd think I'd be really disciplined by now. <laughs> but I'm not. Um, so just, just try and, just try and carve out a half hour here and there, you know, always have, always have a journal article printed out. <laughs> that you can just, you know, that you can just flick through when you get half an hour, you know, and, um, Oh, another one actually, that's been really helpful for me genuinely. Uh, and I'm, I'm not just saying that is listening to podcasts, listening to podcasts about, yeah. about j- j- seriously, honestly, listening to podcasts about research, about learning, about education, um i listen to loads of science podcasts and stuff as well just because it kind of it keeps it keeps me me critical mind ticking over um i, I find that's one that's one um I'll, I'll call it an attribute rather than a strength that's one attribute that i find lacking in 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 some educators actually is is that critical that sort of critical thinking um so like when you never take anything at face value so if when you're listening to podcasts or you know like somebody listening to me now just constantly try and question everything you're listening to and think well have they not considered that or what if that's the outcome or something like that so um yeah so 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 always never stop reading and listening yeah um, give the three whoppers there that's good however yeah. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Brilliant. No, that's uh, good. That's good. Um, I, I, felt, well, I felt like I gave you three waffles. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, perfect. So, tell us about some of the, are there any podcast recommendations then that you would suggest? Um, podcast recommendations. Um, so it's uh, well. So that me, me biggest, me biggest sciencey, uh, me biggest podcast podcast listens are actually sciencey ones. Apologies if you can hear that in the background. My cat's just going mental in the background here on the coffee table. <laughs> we don't um, mind cats on the podcast. They're welcome. <laughs> um, well, there's three of them roaming around here somewhere. Um, 
So yeah, I tend to listen to science podcasts most, and I'm a big fan of the likes of uh, the Infinite Monkey Cage on yes. uh, on BBC yeah. and uh, the Curious Cases of Rutherford and Fry. I love that one. Um, anything that kind of combines uh, a bit of comedy with it as well. But um, learning learning wise ones, um, there's a new one that uh, that Andrew Jacobs has recently started called Women Talking About Learning. Really, really, really brilliant. It's just um, I'm not I'm not saying this because I've been on it, but it is it is a, it's a really good podcast. Um, just a couple of women talking about a different aspect of learning. Um, I love the Good Practice podcast. That's a good one. Um, and again, I, I really like these ones that are just more sort of like casual, conversational rather than rather than someone reading from a script or you know kind of formal interview style. Yeah. Um, uh, and actually, uh, uh, learning now TV is a good one. So it's not a podcast; it's like a it's a, an internet uh, TV channel. But um, but learning now TV's got some got some great topics, some great um, okay. uh, some great content. I'm still finding it difficult to come to terms with the fact that Andrew, as a man, is running a podcast for women to talk to each other. I do oh, I struggle. I do carry. There's a, there's a- there's a serious irony in it, actually. So the reason he started it is because he's, um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you know this, but um, he's a hes a firm follower of the uh, the women in learning kind of movement, the, the online women in learning movement, um, which... which you mean women, women ed? Women ed? That, no, 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 women, 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 women in learning. It came, it's, I right. think it's, uh, don't quote me on this, but I think it started out in America, and I'm sure it was actually started oh. by a man. Um, but the, mm. the the woman the woman in this country who's who's kind of really championed it, Kate Graham, um, is uh, is a good friend Andrew Jacobs who who started the podcast. But I mean, what Andrew's doing is is brilliant. You know, just kind of bringing um, bringing women's voices, uh, you know, more uh, more to the focus. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, the reason I'm asking you is that Alistair and I are presenters on the new Teacher Hug radio station. All right, and uh, we're doing podcast pick of the week. Mm-hmm. So I'm just thinking that might give us a few to go and have a listen to. But I won't oh, yeah, say, I, did, I, yeah. won't say I promise I won't say anything horrible about Andrew. <laughs> he's a lovely, he's an absolutely lovely bloke. I've had, I've had the pleasure nice, yeah. I've had the pleasure of meeting him a couple of times. Um because my friend, uh, my friend Dr. Hannah Gore, um, I first I first met him at her um her her uh, her doctorate party she was she was having a doctorate party down in london and it sort of introduced me to a couple of people and just instantly oh man he's such a likable bloke so yeah. likable yeah he does seem really a really nice guy um so you talked about reading always having a journal article with you etc yeah. so um do you want to tell us something about some of the things you've been reading lately what stands out um, do, does it have to be does it have to be related to me research you know what? No, not necessarily. Okay, so because um, because I, I, so I feel like I had this epiphany over over Christmas, you know, or just before Christmas, and that is I've spent I've spent so many years reading loads of stuff for for uni, and actually I, I'll I'll freely admit I tend to listen to audiobooks more because I spend quite a bit of time in the car yeah. um, and and uh, and run quite a bit, so I tend to I, you know I listen to a lot of audiobooks and things. Um, but they're always factual things, you know. I listen to, um, you know, there are, uh, I just I listen to so much like non-fiction stuff. So I had this epiphany before, just before Christmas, that this was going to be me year of doing some reading for pleasure, mm, right? Okay. So I was talking to a, talking to a friend at work um, who's uh, who's joining our team on uh, on on Monday. I'm very excited, um, 
I was talking to a friend at work and she'd said, oh, I can't believe you don't, you don't do more reading. And I said, well, I need, to, I need to figure out a way of forcing myself to read more. So you know what I've done, right, Joe? I've, I've bought myself a, a special chair yeah. from Ikea that is, yeah. is going to be my reading chair. This is mad. I bought I bought a copy. Yeah, it's in the corner. I mean, Dave, Dave the cat's kind of taking up residence on it for now, but you'll get kicked off eventually. So I've put this chair in the corner of the living room. I've, I've ordered some some nice bespoke bookshelves to go above it. I've ordered myself a copy of the Booker Prize winner for 2020, and I've started a book club at work. So there you wow. go. Wow. Yeah. Gosh, Carrie, you don't just go for it. I mean, you really go for it. You don't just think, I'll read more. Yeah, actually I've... buy the furniture and set a club <laughs> up. I mean, that's that's really going some. Yeah. Well, so so probably just over a year ago, I started a running group at work because I really wanted to. I really wanted to force myself to run more. So I started yeah. a running group, but obviously with COVID, that's kind of that's that's fallen by the wayside for now. You know, we, we can't actually run. So I thought, right, I need something else. Um, so start this start this book club. We've got our first meet on the twenty eighth of January, uh, where we're discussing this uh, the the Booker Prize winner. And so far, we've 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 sent out over fifty invites to people who are interested. So like now, I'm starting to panic a bit, being like, oh. And is <laughs> it gonna... just people in your workplace? Did you say? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll, yeah, we'll just set it up for the trust. And the number of people that have come back saying, "Oh, you know, I've been wanting a book club for ages." So that's yeah. that's positive. Yeah. Um, they might have wanted the cake and the wine, though. I mean, is this going to be digital? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, yeah. We're going to have to do it via Teams for now, so yeah. we're, uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be a virtual group for for the time being. But you know, hey, when we can all get back together, there will be cake, there will be yeah. biscuits, yeah, there will see, be copious see. amounts of tea. <laughs> brilliant. Um, okay, so um, obviously you're on the Sunset Program, and I don't mm. know whether you've heard of other things like FE Research Meets and. Um, uh, movements to gather practitioners together like brewed or i don't know whether you're sort of familiar with any of those no fe sort of... research meet right because uh, right. uh, so one of the one of my uh, one of my um fellow sunset uh, researchers uh kerry scattergood is um uh, ran she ran a, a she ran the um, virtual one yeah, yeah she ran a virtual one one time um and, with me. And we, we, yeah <laughs> yeah so wait so i, I yeah. joined i joined in with that one because i think it, yeah. i think it fell on the same day as one of our end film residentials um so we we oh, dialed it did in, in the so morning that's right it, it did was the yeah. morning afternoon yeah 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 so we um and i try and follow these things on twitter i tend to yeah. go through phases on twitter though there'll be like maybe a couple of weeks where i'm all in and i'm checking everything replying to loads of stuff and then i fatigue really quickly with it so then i'll have like three weeks where i'm not checking it at all so yeah. i tend to come into these things in batches <laughs> yeah actually uh carries on a bit of a break from it all at the moment i think as yeah. well yeah it, get, it can get a bit overwhelming on twitter it can, yeah. but the reason i'm asking about that is i'm just mm -hmm. wondering what role you 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 feel those kind of things have for educators out there in further education in its widest sense um, because they're outside of our institutions and organizations so you know what value do they offer what purpose do they have I mean, I think they've I think they've got way more value than than people would initially give them credit for. So there's this whole thing about communities of practice, isn't there? So you you know we we need to I think having these having these these opportunities to create these communities of practice is really valuable because um, it can it can I think in in a role like this, you know. So for example, um, like I'm I'm a learning technologist in the NHS. I design e-learning and make videos and things like that for a living. Um, there's there's loads of other learning technologists work for the NHS up and down the country, but I don't know who they are, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so I just, 
and uh, you know, or there might be other people up and down the country doing doing educational research in the NHS. I don't know who they are. And it would be really useful to actually know, you know, to have that community of practice where we can share good ideas. And I, I hate the term best practice. I, I feel like it, it kind of insinuates there's a gold standard. So, um, but you know, these like sharing sharing good practice and um, and just getting to know getting to know some people who are in the same situation as you, so you can you know at the very least have a bit of a have a bit of a vent or a bit of a rant about something that's happened or whatever. So I. I I do think that I do think they're way more valuable um, than than maybe some people realize. And the fact that you can dip in and out, mm-hmm. like as you, you know, as you've got time and as you need, I think that's that's great. Something like Twitter, um, something like Twitter gives you that ideal kind of like asynchronous opportunity to engage. You know, so I could comment on a post that you'd made, Joe, like you know, to three months ago, and you'd still get it. Where I, you know, I won't always have time to join a live a live online session or something so well so yeah (laughs) yeah they're just it's asynchronous is the way forward for me because i I, I, because i it's not that i don't have a lot of free time i'm just really forgetful so (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i think i think you're right i think uh, what we've seen is there's like a burgeoning of of these like uh, communities that are slightly informal slightly outside of institutions and organizations but they're quite powerfully supportive of people's professional development you know yeah yeah very much so and i I mean that that backs up everything that i'm everything that i'm kind of looking at in my research isn't it you know that it gives it gives people an opportunity to 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 share ideas and and just you know because i think a lot of people underestimate how what form CPD can take? It can just take a conversation with someone. You know, I'll I'll be no, I'll be noting this down on my CPD log. You know, because it's because it's that chat where you know it'll be in it'll be in three hours time when I'm sat watching you know watching an episode of The Crown or, or Cobra Kai or something, and I'll suddenly just go, well, you know, Joe mentioned that thing. I must I must look that up. You know, and it's it's oh, so it's so uh, valuable. It's so I love valuable. you, Carrie. You see, you're <laughs> preaching. You are preaching to the converted. This is what it's the very conversations I've had about just what is professional development. You know, yeah. is it only the thing where your organisation pays several hundred pounds to get a consultant in, or is it these things? Of course, it is we know it's, it's these everything. things too. You know, it's, it's everything. The, it's the producing a podcast or listening to a podcast or going to an informal networking event or conversations in your staff room yeah absolutely it's for me it's even stuff like um and I'm I'm gonna go back a couple of years here but it's even something like watching an episode of net of um of Black Mirror a couple of years ago I don't know if you remember there was an episode came out on uh, on popular streaming platform um beginning with n uh that um it was like a choose your own adventure style thing you know, where like the op- options came up on the screen and you had to select and it, it moved, you know, yeah. it kind of jumped forward like that. You know, I'm sat there watching that going, you know what it is? I could do that in my training. So I took it back into work all full of beans. You know, every everything is an opportunity for CPD. Everything. If it gets you thinking about an aspect of your practice, it's CPD. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I, I feel like I need to be reading through your literature review. That's what I need. I need to get hold of your reference list for, uh, to help me with my mind. Okay. Um, right, well, we're coming to the end. So um, any last messages, things you definitely want to say you've not had the opportunity to say? Oh. Um, stay safe, everyone. Yeah, okay. okay. Stay safe, protect, 
protect the NHS. That's right. <laughs> protect the NHS. Well, we're all staying in our homes tonight, aren't yeah. we? Okay. Well, it's been absolute delight to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. For Likewise. Can I just say us. as well, Joe? I, I love your accent. <laughs> I love yours. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I hate mine. It's, I just, Joey's just, it's not a good accent. Oh, uh, um, actually, I was born, I mean, I'm not a Geordie, but I was born in Middlesbrough, actually. Oh, that's a snobby. Uh, You're a snobby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, you know, to my ear, now I live in Yorkshire, it's a not dissimilar accent, but of course everybody would be furious. I can't well, be furious well, I guess saying that. Well, I guess technically I live in Northumberland, so um, so I should really speak with, uh, I live in southeast Northumberland, so I should really speak with a bit pit yakka. So, <laughs> so, so I'd be, I'd be going to the club. Yeah, uh, you know, if I was yeah. if I was heading down the local boozer, I'd be going to the club. <laughs> You'd so. also be breaking COVID regulations. So. That's true. Okay. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So thank you so much, and uh, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll watch um, your progress with interest because we're like a year behind, so we're literally following on your coattails. <laughs> Hanging on well, there. Well, fingers fingers crossed. So uh, so for anybody who's who's actually interested in applying. Partway through your MPhil, you get the opportunity to apply to transfer onto a PhD path. So it's a, uh, you know, uh, so fingers fingers crossed, uh, I might I might end up transferring onto the PhD path. Oh, yeah. But we shall see. We shall well, that, see. That, that's our ambition, isn't it, Alistair? I'll say that like, <laughs> it is, isn't it? It's Joe's, Joe's ambition, ambition to have a nice hat. That, that's it all is. it's about, really. <laughs> it is. I say this every, <laughs> say this every time. You know, I know I've got to do a lot of reading, but it is about the hat for me. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I'll let Alistair say his goodbyes now. Yeah, thank you ever so much for joining us, Carrie. It's been uh, it's been enjoyable and really interesting listening about your research, but also that, that different journey and the different crossover with the NHS as well. So thank you very much for sharing it with us. Yeah, thanks very much, guys. I really enjoyed it. You've been listening to the FE Research Podcast. You can follow the conversations on Twitter using the hashtag FE Research Podcast. Thanks for listening and hopefully you can join us again soon.